Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to have all of you here for our 9 o'clock service. Good to have you joining us from your homes, those that are with us live stream. Um, as Mike said, just to follow up, a really important meeting here in the auditorium around 10.30 this morning. Uh, for any of you that are interested in working with our youth or youth parents and all of that, uh, a couple other things. Two weeks from today is our 13th anniversary as a church. April the 2nd, we celebrate 13 years. So we hope you can join us that Sunday. And then the following Sunday is Easter Sunday. A lot going on in April. Don't forget, Saturday, April the 15th also is baptism. And for any of you that would like to be baptized, we would love to have the privilege of baptizing you on Saturday, April the 15th. Please go out to the information booth out there and uh, sign up for that. We would, we would love to, to uh, be able to do that with you and celebrate your baptism as a church family. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 16 this morning. Luke's Gospel, chapter 16. Again, we're doing a series through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we're looking at the story of Jesus. And uh, today we want to talk about what is it that God highly values? What is it that God highly values? Now, to begin, I want you to see that at the beginning of chapter 16, that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. That's who he's directing these words to. Not that we're going to see that other people are not overhearing what God is saying, but that Jesus specifically, very intentionally, is directing what he is saying to his disciples. Chapter 16, verse 1. Why? Because remember, Jesus is always about preparation, and he's preparing his disciples to be the leaders of his people. These are going to be the folks that literally are the foundation of the church that he is going to build that's going to change the face of history. So Jesus wants to make sure that they grasp what he's laying down here in these chapters out of Luke. But then go over to verse 14. Notice that around his disciples are always the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees. And there, we're informed, are lovers of money. And they overheard all that Jesus was saying in the first 13 verses of Luke chapter 16. It's recorded there for us. And they ridiculed him for it. Literally, they turned up their nose at Jesus. Think about it. The religious leaders of Israel were turning up their nose at Jesus Christ, not once, but over and over and over again. So Jesus said to them, verse 15, you are the ones who justify yourselves in men's eyes, but God knows your hearts, for what is highly prized among men is utterly detestable in God's sight. I want you to focus on that phrase. What is highly prized among men 
is utterly detestable in God's sight. In other words, what they valued is not what God values. So I want us to sort of turn that around today as we explore this passage of Scripture. If what the religious leaders of Israel valued is not what God valued, then what does God value? <laughs> and we're going to see embedded in this passage of Scripture many, many things that God values. Therefore, those values should be our values as well. The prophet Amos said this, can two walk together unless they are in agreement? The answer is no. You can't really walk with someone unless there is agreement. So if you and I are going to be disciples and we're going to walk with Jesus every day, then we've got to agree with him on the things that he values. We cannot value things that he doesn't value and then try to walk with him. We've got to find out where his heart is and what are the things that he values and then adopt them and make them our values as well so that we can walk with him. So I want to go back, actually, to the very first verse and remind us of something in the word disciple. The word literally means to be a learner. It speaks about one who has an attitude of, of humility, humility and teachableness, okay? Well, that's one of the things that God values. He values humility. He tells us that he will exalt the humble, right? And, and that, that those who are humble before him will be blessed and, and be shown favor. He, he values teachableness to where we come to him and we're willing always to learn from him. He even says that in that great invitation, come and, and find rest in me and take my yoke and learn from me. So there's that attitude that God really values. And then contrast that over in verse 14 with the attitude of the Pharisees that we have seen displayed and on display throughout our study of this gospel. The Pharisees were prideful. They were arrogant. They were know-it-alls. And, and very much in contrast to what he's looking for in disciples. So let's start there. But then you'll notice something else. In verse 15 of chapter 16 of Luke, Jesus directs these words after he hears them ridiculing him and turning up their nose at him. He basically calls shenanigans on the Pharisees. And he says, oh, well, you we're here with what you care about. All you care about is putting on a show before other people. That's what the phrase justify yourselves means. You're just putting on a show before people, but God knows your heart. In other words, they cared more about what people thought than what God thought. 
And Jesus is saying, that's not right. That's not the values of God. In fact, what he's also pointing out here is that your value is external things. What you care about more is how you're viewed by other people. And so you're always focused on the externals. But you know what God values? God values the heart. God values the internals, or as we maybe say, the eternals. That's what God values. And so that's why he goes on to say, what you're valuing is utterly detestable to God. The word detestable means it makes God sick. God is sickened by your value system. Whoa! So even here, we begin to see how Jesus is going to turn this whole conversation into really a discussion and a revelation of what God truly values. And, and I wanted to start there with the whole concept of being a disciple in contrast to the Pharisees and the Pharisees focusing on externals and his people should be focused on the internals. But then let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. I don't want to spend too much time here, but in the first eight verses of this passage, Jesus shares a story or a parable that, that illustrates basically one thing. Parables usually just have one main point to them, right? What is the main point of this story? Well, it's the story of this steward or this manager who's basically handling assets for his master. And he's a little dicey. He's a little dishonest. Uh, he's cooking the books a little bit, right? And so his master finds out about it. And to make a long story short, he's, he's going to be let go, right? He hasn't done things properly. When he finds this out, I think he was sort of awakened. And he's realizing that if I'm going to survive in the future, I've got to be willing to make a sacrifice in the present. So what he does is he goes back to all of his master's creditors. He removes the commission that he could have taken from that transaction. He sacrifices what he could have taken in the present in order to set himself up down the road with those people so that maybe they would even come back and do business with him later on, okay? That's why Jesus says in verse 8, the master actually gets to a point where he commends the once dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. The word shrewdly simply means he's been opportunistic. He, he is seizing an opportunity before him that's going to set himself up down the road. And then notice this amazing statement that Jesus makes. The, the people of this world, okay, people that don't know him, have no relationship with him, actually are more shrewd in dealing with their contemporaries than the people of light. In other words, his own people. 
That's an amazing statement. Jesus is basically saying about his own people, they're not as opportunistic as they should be. Because if anybody should be living life on earth, setting themselves up for down the road, being willing to make sacrifices now and sort of defer gratification now instead of living in the world of instant gratification, he said it should be my people. Which is why he would say things in other places like, instead of accumulating treasure on earth, why don't you lay up treasure in heaven, right? In other words, why don't we defer our gratification here in order to set ourselves up better in the future? And Jesus saying, many people in the world, man, when it comes to setting themselves up here on earth for the future, they're very conscious about that. He said, Christians, we have a even further view. We're not just supposed to be thinking about setting ourselves up well for, say, you know, things like retirement and our future and all of that. We should be looking to eternity and making sure that we're living in a way that is going to make an impact positively for us in eternity. That's why he says then in verse 9, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by how you use your worldly wealth so that when it runs out, you will be welcomed into the eternal home. What does God value besides humility and teachability, besides focusing on internals rather than externals? He values living in the light of eternity. That's one of the great values of God. That yes, we are part of, of earth and of this world, but that every day as his follower, we should be living in light of eternity. And the decisions and choices and relationships that we forge and all of that should be with this in mind. How is this affecting positively eternity? You see, Jesus isn't against worldly wealth, just the opposite. Jesus isn't anti-worldly wealth. In fact, he says, my value is how you use your worldly wealth. I would love to see my people use all of their earthly, worldly, temporal resources, but instead of using them selfishly, using them just to make their own lives more comfortable, that they realize what they have been given from God could actually be used to, to leverage influence and to change and impact lives for all of eternity. Jesus says, that's my value, and I want that to be the value of my people. You see, Jesus here isn't teaching in verse 9 that we should use our worldly wealth to buy influence here on earth. He's saying, I want you to learn to use your worldly wealth and the resources that you've been given in order to change eternity. That's what I value. I love that phrase, make friends for yourself. In a sense, he's saying, why don't you think about making eternal friends through what you have and what you can offer? And, and let's go beyond just thinking about this in a monetary uh, 
physical, material way. Think about using your gifts and your talents and, and, and being able to impact other people's lives for all of eternity. Because notice what Jesus says. He says, if you and I live that way, that when we get to glory, there could be a line of people that we don't even know who we've never met, but because we supported a missionary in some other part of the world or because we supported a, a ministry somewhere and that ministry touched these people's lives and made a difference, whether they were Christians or whether they were used to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying, do you realize that there could be all these people who are waiting to greet you when you get to your eternal home, when money ceases to be relevant? That's what Jesus means, by the way, when he says this worldly wealth one day is going to run out. It means when you and I get to glory, when we get to heaven, worldly wealth isn't going to mean anything. It's not going to matter. But he says, while you're here and you've got it, you can use it to affect eternity in a positive way. And he says, how cool would it be to go in to heaven and, and be able to have all these people from all over the world, people you've never met, who are going to come up to you and say, thank you for giving to the Lord. Thank you for sharing your talents and your gifts and your monetary resources. Because of you, my life was touched. I came to Christ through your investment in eternity. I was a Christian whose life was forever changed and transformed because you gave to the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying. That should be our value. Not living for the things of this world, but living with eternity in mind every day. And then verse 10. The one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. One of the values of God, faithfulness. God values faithfulness. It is required in servants of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, that a person be found faithful. What is the thing that we as Christians desire to hear from our Lord? Well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. Do we not understand how much God values being faithful? But one cannot be faithful unless you are full of faith. Add an L to the end of faithful, and you have a very important concept that all of us need to keep in mind. In order to truly be faithful, I have to be a person who is filled with faith. And what is faith? Absolute confidence in God. A very strong conviction that everything that God has said, everything that he has revealed, it is true. And I live my life based upon my conviction in who I know my God to be and what he has said. It is out of our faith and being filled with faith that you and I then are capable of being faithful. 
if, if I don't truly have the strong conviction that I can trust in what God has said, I'll never be faithful. And we'll get to that a little bit later too, how that ties in to what Jesus is going to say later on. But that's what God values. Faithfulness, reliability, dependability, trustworthiness. Because notice in verse 11, he again goes on to say, if you haven't been trustworthy or faithful in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? What is it that God values? Well, he values worldly wealth only in the degree that how it can be used to affect eternity. But what God really values are true riches. What are the true riches? Spiritual riches. And so Jesus, notice, is saying, when God gives us worldly wealth and material things and all of that resources to manage, that is just a proving ground for God and for us. It's a training that God gives to us and says, if you can handle this well, if you can be responsible and faithful to handle these worldly things, then guess what? I'm going to give you the true riches to be able to manage and handle in this life. And not just in this life, but throughout eternity. So again, God is gauging how faithful, how trustworthy, how reliable and dependable we are on just giving us worldly things that will one day cease to be relevant so that he can really dump into our lap what's of greater value, what's your spiritual riches. Are those the things that we value? Not the worldly stuff, but the true riches, the spiritual riches that God wants to give us? And are we living in such a way that we go, I want to be responsible with the worldly stuff so that God will give me more spiritual stuff to look over, to manage? Because that's what's of greater value for me. Not the worldly, temporal, physical stuff, but the true riches, because those are the things that's going to last throughout eternity. And God, notice in verse 12, is reminding us, as he did in verses 10 and 11, that our life should be viewed as a stewardship. He says, if you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, which, by the way, is God's, because everything that God gives us, he's given us as, as something that he's entrusted to us. He says, if you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your own one day? God's not going to give us much to manage for the rest of our lives or throughout eternity if we haven't been doing a good job of managing what he's already given us, you see. And so what God values is looking at our life as absolutely a stewardship, that everything we have, every relationship that we have, it's all. God is saying, how well are you managing these things? Because I want to give you more. I want to give you true riches. And, and God wants us to have that kind of desire to where we say, Lord, I want more. I, I want you to give me more. I want to be more responsible for stuff. And, and I want you to be able to, to dump into my lap the true riches of your kingdom rather than just handling worldly wealth. And then verse 13. 
the last sort of thing that Jesus shares in this passage of Scripture about the values of God is that no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and the riches of this world, the treasure that a person trusts in. And obviously, that leads into the next verse about the Pharisees loving money. No wonder they ridiculed him. They didn't like what he said because their emphasis was on material things, not spiritual riches. Their emphasis was on externals, not internals. And what is it that Jesus values that he reveals to us in verse 13? He values allegiance, devotion, loyalty, commitment. You see, discipleship is basically allegiance, devotion, loyalty, and commitment. Jesus is saying, are you really all in? Because you, you, can't, you can't serve two masters. Eventually, two masters will come into conflict. You're going to have to come to a place where you choose one over the other. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to get to a place where you settle that you're all in with me. And that's of high value to me. I'm not just looking for those who are following me 50%. I'm looking for those who are willing to be all in with me and to have it settled, settled, or maybe even resettled. And why is this so important? Because James even writes, a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. Literally, the phrase means of two minds about something. And James is revealing to us, a person that has two minds about something is going to be unsettled. It's going to be expressed in ways of like doubting, uncertainty, indecisiveness, maybe even erratic behavior, fickleness. In other words, if I'm not sure, then I'm never going to truly be settled. And that's why the Bible teaches us, don't do something unless you really believe God has settled it with you. When in doubt, don't. Because it's only when we are truly settled and that that settlement comes from God that we're going to be headed walking with Jesus. Because unless two agree, how can they truly walk together? And Jesus is just saying to us, am I of highest value? See, the Pharisees overvalued material things and undervalued Jesus. That was their biggest problem. They put too much emphasis and value on material, physical things of this world, and they undervalued Jesus. Jesus is looking for those who will do just the opposite, that we will never, you know, have anything greater or anyone greater in our life than Jesus. He's of highest value and worth. 
and that we look at material things as simply, as Jesus says, a way to impact eternity and affect lives through supporting ministries and missionaries and being involved in God's work ourselves by giving our gifts and talents and abilities to the Lord and letting God use our lives to positively affect and impact others. Jesus says, this is of greatest value to me because then you are making friends who will welcome you into your eternal home. And shouldn't that be of greatest value to us? Living in light of eternity. Living in light of eternity. I want to direct your attention back to the end of verse 15. I want all of us to really allow this to settle when Jesus says, what is highly prized among men is utterly detestable in God's sight. What they valued was not what God valued. May we turn that. May we begin to learn through God revealing himself and his values to us, what he values. And may we adopt those values so that we can walk together with Jesus every day and follow him as a faithful, devoted, committed disciple. I'm going to ask Nicole and the worship team to come, and I'm going to ask you folks to stand with me and close in prayer. Father, I thank you today for another opportunity to be in your house, to be in your presence, to worship you, God, to hear you speaking to us. God, I pray that we would, again, seize these opportunities, that we would be opportunistic, that we would realize, God, that some of the sacrifices and, and some of the decisions and choices that we might make in the short term will really set us up well in the long term, even for eternity, God. So, Lord, may we keep these principles and, and these thoughts in the very forefront of our mind, God, as we go through our day. May you bring these thoughts from your Holy Spirit, Lord, to our mind and to our heart. May, may we contemplate these things. May we consider them in the days ahead. Because, Lord, I believe that you're just calling us out week after week and just asking us, inviting us, Lord, to be that faithful, devoted, committed disciple, that one who's all in with you, God, more than anything else. Because you understand, Lord, that when we walk with you, there's no better life. That there's no greater fulfillment and satisfaction that we could ever experience than when we walk with our God every day. So, Lord, thank you for inviting us to walk with you every day. Lord, may your heart become our heart. May your values become our values as we live on this earth. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, before we uh, sing, you, you, can, you can go ahead for just a minute. I just want to say thank you for choosing the songs that you chose today. I wanted to share this, but I wanted to share it in her presence, but she wasn't in here right at the beginning of, of the message. I needed those four songs before the message. I needed to praise my Lord for those four songs. They were just perfect for me. So I don't know how about the rest of you, but I know I needed to sing those songs. And we need to sing this one too. We need to sing this one too. So let's just ask the Spirit of the Lord to just move amongst us as we end our time together. And I just have to say this too. I know many of you were praying for me, especially on Thursday. And you've been asking how things went at that memorial service. I won't lie, it was a tough one. But I felt your presence and your prayers with me that day. And God lifted some burdens and is continuing to lift some burdens in my own life. And I hope God's doing that with you. Because I want you to know that when we come to his house, we come with our stuff, right? <laughs> and yet God ministers to us. And God moves and God works. And I'm so glad he does. <laughs> and so I'm just praying right now that whatever you need in your life right now that most of all you'll just open up your heart and say God just come in and do what you need to do in my life